Now this morning, uh, turn with me in the scriptures to the book of Philippians. And we're going to read in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, right through to chapter 4 at We'll end the reading at the verse 10. So Philippians chapter 4, verse 17. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown shall stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Eudias and beseech Synthage that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I treat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me have flourished again, wherein you were also careful but you lacked opportunity. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 10. And we pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this morning is taken from Philippians chapter 4 verse 1. It reads as follows. Therefore my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. And I want us to think today about understanding and obeying this command to stand fast in the Lord. Now these words, of course, were penned by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit from his prison cell at Rome. Remember, he's a prisoner there for preaching the gospel, a prisoner of uh, Caesar uh, because uh, of uh, Paul's love for Christ. And they were written to the whole of the Philippian church in the city of Philippi in what was commonly called then the land of Macedonia. 
And this was a church, of course, that the Apostle Paul, under God, had helped found. And um, a church that he dearly loved. A church that was on his heart. A church that had been the subject of much prayer uh, by the man of God for them. And here he is in his prison cell, a prisoner of Rome, waiting a death sentence. And he hears about this church in Philippi. And they were in danger of losing their joy in the gospel, their joy of the Lord. And he learned that this church was under attack by a number of enemies. One of the dangers that this church faced was from a body uh, that we'll call the legalists. Certain men had come into the church saying it was great that you preach Christ and telling the people you need to repent and believe the gospel and they needed to be saved and put their faith and trust in Christ as Savior. That's wonderful news, but you need something else. You also need to be circumcised. You need to identify with the Jewish religion. You need the law of Moses as well in order to be saved. And the Apostle Paul would have none of it. Uh, he um, wrote to the church to emphasize the fact that Christ alone is the one and only Savior of sinners. It faced another danger, that of perfectionism. Uh, there were certain people come into the church and they said you could reach a plateau in the Christian life where you'd never sin. You'd be in a state of perfection in holiness, in grace, and love, and power. And Paul says, no, it's a lie. It's not true to scripture. It's not true to spiritual experience. And then it faced another danger of antinomianism. Anti, of course, against nomianism coming from the uh, noun uh, nomos, um, uh, which has to do with the law. There were those in the church that said, you don't need the law. We're not under its condemnation. Now we're in Christ. And we're not under its code. You, you, you don't need the law to live out the Christian life or the gospel. Now, the Apostle Paul deals with all of these three dangers that face the church in chapter 3. And we've already studied it carefully. And I'm not going to seek to go over that old ground. Then we come to chapter 4. And chapter 4 is really a chapter of general exhortations. And his first exhortation is an exhortation to stand fast in the Lord. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. This verse serves as a transition from chapter 3. The word therefore means in light of. And he's drawing your attention to the previous material or information in chapter 3. And then he expresses from that a, a logical conclusion. In light of this, I want you to do that. What do you want us to do, Paul? I want you to stand fast in the Lord. In light of the fact that you're... Um, Citizenship is in heaven, and uh, the church is eagerly awaiting uh, the Lord Jesus to return bodily to the earth. And you live in light of the day that he'll change your vile body and fashion it unto his glorious body. In light of that day, on that very basis, this church, this Philippian church, is to stand fast in the Lord. Now, 
What does it mean to stand fast in the Lord? How are we to understand it? It means this. Don't abandon your position. Be resolute. Don't waver as you hold on to the great truths of the gospel. Don't fall away as you resist the attacks of the devil and all his minions. You see, this exhortation is a call to stand fast and not to be shaken by the Judaizers who've come to the church saying you need to be circumcised, you need the law of Moses. Or not to be shaken by the perfectionists who said you can reach a plateau in the Christian life where you never sin. Or shaken by the antinomians who said you don't need the law to live out the gospel. Paul says, stand fast in the Lord. That is, they're to stand fast, united together in living out the gospel. Now, now this command, I believe, is a watchword for the church in 2019. And while it's not my motto text this year, strangely and oddly enough, the Lord always gives me two or three texts that come into my mind. And way back in December, not only was I thinking in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 11, but I was thinking of recommencing the studies here in the book of the Philippians. And I was thinking of these words, this first general exhortation to stand fast. And I want to say this morning, even though there's many absent, and we're thankful for those who are listening on the internet, that if there ever was a day when we need to stand in the pulpit or stand in the pew, it's an hour day and generation. In fact, I believe this is the great need of the hour for the free Presbyterian church as well as the church of Jesus Christ on this earth. We need to stand fast in the Lord. Now, <clears throat> three things, and I trust you'll bear with me. I want you to think about the reason to stand fast in the Lord. Look at the word, therefore. Underline that word. When you see a therefore in the Bible, you've got to ask yourself, what's it there for? And remember, I've already told you in the introduction, it means in, in light of this, or because of this, because of what I just said. And you have to go back to the verses 20 and 21 in particular. Because of this, because of the fact that your conversation is in heaven, your citizenship, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus, who shall change our vile body that may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Therefore, in, in, in light of this, I want you to do this. And what does he want us to do? He wants us to stand fast in the Lord. Now notice the words, in the Lord. It means in Christ. That was their position. That's where they started. That's where they're being exhorted to keep on standing in the Lord. You see, you can't stand fast you couldn't obey this command to stand fast in the Lord if you're not in the Lord. In Christ was a term that Paul used 90 times. And really what he's wanting them to focus on is to remember who they are. To remember what they are. They're sons in the family. 
And here's one of the reasons for them to stand fast in the Lord, because they're sons and daughters in the family. Look at the words. My brethren, remember you're saved. Remember your citizenship is in heaven. You've been saved from sin, its penalty, its power, its pleasure, one day from its presence. Remember Ephesians 2 and 1? And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins. You see, these people were formerly dead in their sins. They had no thought or fear of God. They were dead to God and all the blessings in Christ in the gospel. In time past, they walked according to the course of this world. In time past, they were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. In time past, they were disobedient. And then something happened. And as Ephesians chapter 2 and the 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. So, so get the picture. They were without God, without Christ, and without hope, as all men are by nature. They were dead in their sins. They, they were um, darkened in their minds. They, they, they were diseased in their affections and in their will. And, and then something took place. They were born again of the Holy Spirit. And they were genuinely converted. And they were gloriously saved. And their sins were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. And now they're no longer without God in the world. No longer are they without hope. No longer are they without Christ. Because the life of God has been planted in their soul. And they've been awakened to their sin. And, and their mind has been enlightened. And their affections and their will. Well, well, well that has been changed. 2 Corinthians says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away, and all things have become new, and all things are of God. Now, can you honestly say this morning that you're in Christ? When you come to a text like this, you can't obey the text, remember. You can't stand fast in the Lord if you're not in him. You can't remain in your place and in your position if you've never started with him, if you've never called on him, if you've never experienced repentance and faith in him. Remember the Bible says, whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. And I'm not asking you to join the church. I'm not asking you to come to the baptismal font or, or attend a confirmation class. I'm not even asking you to come and live a good, moral, upright life or, or, or become a follower of Jesus. I'm asking you to come personally to Christ and cry out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and trust in his merits of his person and work and receive the cleansing power of his blood alone for salvation. Let nothing move you away from Christ. And I press again this thought. Has there been a turning from sin to the Savior? Is Christ your hope? Christ alone your confidence? You see, in light of this spiritual, vital, practical, personal union with Christ, Paul is saying to them, Stand fast. He's addressing sons in the family. In fact, he uses the word uh, brethren here deliberately. He calls them dearly beloved and long for my joy and crown. Stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. So, so you get the emphasis. 
It's sons in the family he's thinking about. I want you to think as well as another reason. There's a soldier in the fight here. See the word stand fast, it's a military term. It means, as I've said, to stay in your place, in your position. Don't waver. Don't run in the face of the enemy. No retreats. Be resolute. Have spiritual resolve. Be stout-hearted. Show loyalty. I think of Shamgar, one of David's mighty men, how he stood and defeated the Philistines in the lintel patch. I think of another illustration, the Battle of Waterloo. One of the generals sent word to the Duke of Wellington, you must move me, sir. I can't hold much any longer. I've lost many men. I can't hold out. I have to move my position. He got word back, you must hold your place. Every Englishman must stand in his place today. It's either die in your place or win the victory. And that's the idea or the concept behind the word stand fast. It's a military term. And remember, every Christian is involved in a spiritual war. Stand fast is a clear military tone. Every Christian must be firm, resolute, stout-hearted, know who the enemy is, know a little bit about his tactics, and he must remain in his place, a place where God has put him or her. Let's remember there are enemies at work today. Satan and his minions, the enemy of the world trying to squeeze us into its mold, the enemies of the flesh, inward remaining corruption and sin, all busy working together to drive the Christian back, to uh, get him to panic, to, to get the Christian retreat from standing, not only in the Lord, but standing up for the Lord, to, to get us to withdraw from following hard after Christ, to, to waver in his or her commitment from Christ. And I have to say, sadly, this morning, I think of men and women who professed to be saved and they had a claim that they had a testimony to the saving and keeping power of Christ. And they might have had it 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. They came to the church. They read their Bible. They attended the prayer meetings. They stood in protest with us. They got involved in outreach. They were looked upon as men and women of God. And then something happened. And where are they today? Well, they're gone. Many are now living in sin, open sin, shocking sin. Some are even denying the faith of Christ. And the saddest thing of all, some claim to be backsliders. As Billy Hamilton used to say, they were probably never front sliders in the first place. In other words, they never were in Christ. You see, I believe a true backslider is one of the most miserable and most unhappy people in the world. We were talking about this at the Minister's Week of Prayer. If you compare Psalm 51 and Psalm 32 and the life of David when he was backslidden for 11 months, he was not content with the world and its toys. He, he, he was not content in the hog pens of this world. David was unhappy in that state. Because David knew that his heart was not right before God. And a genuine backslider in his backsliding days has a heart that's not right before God and him or her knows it. 
And their conscience bothers them. And God takes steps, of course, to bring them from that backslidden state because he's married to the genuine backslider. In the Christian life, we not only started a race that had a beginning and an end, but we've started a war. Uh, There was a day when the battle commenced. The day you got saved and you trusted Christ. And that battle will never be over until you arrive in heaven. It's lifelong. And we've been chosen to this. We have been called into this. Over there in the book of Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the apostle exhorted the Corinthian church, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. Be strong. In Ephesians 6 verses 10 to 18, we've got reference about the Christian's armor. And we're exhorted there to stand fast against the wiles of the devil. And the context is of spiritual warfare. A a, a remembrance that we're in a a, a battle zone. And false teachers are trying to undermine the gospel. False professors have crept into the church. And they're really enemies of the cross. And as we do battle with the devil and his minions. As we do battle with the world that tries to, to squeeze us into his mold. We're to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. And when we battle with the flesh, we're, we're to remember that, that we're to um, exhort ourselves, uh, not only exercise ourselves unto godliness, but remember what Paul says in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 12, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Every believer all chosen and called in Christ. And in Christ we're brought into a spiritual struggle, a holy war, and we're to fight the good fight of faith. And if you think carefully, every believer, every New Testament church and witness is under threat. And you think of the assaults on the church, the assaults on the Christian without and within, the assaults on individual Christians and and, and corporate bodies. And what are we to do? We're to stand fast in the Lord. Why? Because we're sons in the family and because we're soldiers in a fight. That's the reason. Now, secondly, and very quickly, and I'll watch the time, I want you to think of this revelation to stand fast. What does it mean, stand fast in the Lord? In what areas? Well, let me suggest stand fast in relation to supplication. I want you to make 2019 a year when you stand fast in regard to prayer. And I appreciate your support at the prayer meetings. We we need you to come to the prayer meetings. And we want you to pray for your family. You can pray for household salvation. You can pray for me as the minister of this church. You can pray for the elders. You can pray for the committee. You can can pray for uh, the, 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 the Sunday school. You can pray for the children's work. You see... In corporate prayer, as we unite together, we're told in the scriptures, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And I understand, of course, that in relation to the prayer meeting, there's personal circumstances. I'm well aware of there's distance, there's sickness, 
There's family duties. But if you can, and if you're in health and strength, and you're able-bodied, and you're home from work, and you're just there in the house, don't, don't read a magazine. Don't, don't watch the television, Coronation Street, or whatever it is. Switch it off. Get the victory. And say on the Wednesday night, in 2019, Lord, I'll be in my place, I'll be in my seat, and I'll be there to say amen to the others who are praying in the church. Someone has rightly said, the church only goes forward on its knees. It was the great Andrew Murray that said, no prayer, no blessing. Little prayer, little blessing, much prayer, much blessing. And if you read the book of Acts, there was a connection between power and prayer. In the first prayer meeting in the book of Acts, there was 120 at it. And they were waiting for the power of the Holy Ghost. And they continued for 10 days until God answered prayer. So we're going to stand fast this year in relation to supplication. I want you to stand fast in relation to sanctification. Remember, we're not only chosen in Christ and called, but we're chosen and called in Christ to a particular kind of life, a life of holiness. The motto for the individual Christian has to be holiness unto the Lord. And let's learn in 2019 to keep short accounts with God. Let's exercise ourselves unto godliness. You see, when we think of sins, we think of the big sins. We think of sodomy. We think of murder. That's a dreadful thing, isn't it? We think of adultery. We think of theft. We might even think of drunkenness and wife-beating and gambling. But what about the wee sins? What about pride? What about jealousy? What about unbelief? What about not loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? What about lies? Do you know that we have been called to a life of holiness? How do I know that? Well, that's what the Bible says. And we go with what the Bible says. Be instructed before leaving earth. Listen to this scripture. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. But be ye which hath called you as holy... So be ye holy in all manner of conversation. The word conversation means living. Why? Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. God is holy. More holy than we can ever begin to think. And we're called to stand fast in relation to sanctification. We're also called to stand fast in relation to the sanctuary. Do you know the Bible says, forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is? In other words, we're not to abandon the church. I think of those who profess the name of Christ and they says, well, we don't need to go to church, even though it's Sunday. The Bible says, remember the Sabbath day to, to keep it holy. And I want to say this morning, as I've said in the welcome, it's good to see you. And we do welcome the visitors amongst us. And it's great that you come and take your place in the pew. And let's remember, this is God's day. And the whole day is God's. And we're to delight in the Sabbath. And, and, and our love to the Lord is seen in relation to the Sabbath. You see, you can't say I love the Savior if you don't love the sanctuary where God's saints meets. And again, if you're in health and strength and able to be here, then we encourage you to come. We, we recognize infirmity, we recognize age, circumstances, and we recognize distance. I, I don't keep any role or record of attendance. But we asked you to, in 2019, 
to be steadfast in relation to the sanctuary. Give yourself to attending the house of God. Plan to be here and encourage one another and get to know each other. And and, and let our fellowship and love be strengthened. Steadfast in relation to the scriptures. I've already read from 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verse 13. Stand fast in the faith. And there's two thoughts there. The faith objectively. The body of truth that God has written in his word. The word of God, of course, is the revelation of God and his son, Jesus Christ. I believe, of course, that as Solomon said in Proverbs 30, verse 5, every word of God is pure. And we as a church, of course, just don't say that the Bible contains the word of God. We believe the Bible is the word of God. The Bible is infallible. It's inerrant. It's authoritative. It's sufficient. We, we believe in the, 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 the clarity of the scriptures. I believe the Bible. If anything is not biblical, then you're, you're duty bound to forget it. The, the Bible says to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. And I want to say, young people, do you believe the, the Bible stories are true? The story about creation, Adam and Eve, Genesis 1 and 3, are they literal? The answer is yes. I believe in the story of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He made them in six 24-hour days. I believe in the historicity of Adam and Eve. I believe in their fall into sin. You see, we can't understand the world if you say that Adam and Eve are just imaginary people. They weren't real, historical figures. Why is there death in the world? Where did sin come from? And all the rest of the stories, Jonah in the wheel, Daniel in the den of lions. A man said to me this week, he said, but surely you don't believe that Lazarus was four days dead. And a man stood outside the tomb and said, Lazarus come forth. And he that was bound came out to the door of the tomb. I said, that's exactly what happened. I'll tell you a greater miracle. The Lord Jesus was three days and three nights in the earth. And, and he was resurrected on the resurrection morning. You see, everything that the Bible teaches about the person and work of Christ, I believe the Bible. We don't preach a Christianity without Christ. We don't preach a religion without regeneration. We don't preach self-righteousness without God's righteousness. We don't focus on self. We, we, we focus on the Savior. And, and that's what I mean, stand fast in the faith, that, that, which, that body of fundamental truth that God has revealed about himself and about his son and, and about salvation and about heaven and hell. It's all to be believed because every word of God is pure. You know what the Bible says? All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness. And if there ever was a day when we need to stand objectively for the body of truth that God has revealed and stand up young people in the classroom, the university, the workplace, in society, in our homes and say, I believe the Bible. Challenge people with the word of God. It is written. That's how Jesus defeated the devil. It is written in the scriptures. Let's learn the scriptures. So therefore, read our Bibles and meditate upon it and take it into our heart and say, I've got God's word. What about the faith subjectively? We were singing there, never lose sight of Jesus. 
Every day, we're to focus on Christ. Every day, we must live looking to him. This is how we're to run the race. This is how we fight the good fight of faith. Steadfast in relation to separation. There's a personal separation. It ties into the mindset of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And that's why, of course, we're separate from the ecumenical movement, the uh, charismatic infusion, the World Council of Churches. We, we recognize that there's apostasy in many corporate bodies of professing Christendom. We, we refuse to submit to the traditions of men. And uh, we, we take our doctrine seriously. And we take our duty unto the Lord, that, that we're separate unto the Lord. Come ye out from among them, the Bible says, and be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing. So, so we're to stand fast in, in these areas. And there's maybe more areas that you could think about, but whatever area it is, I've just touched and some opened up the text because this is what it means. We're, we've got this revelation from God, stand fast. And though that we could learn to stand fast in prayer, stand fast in, in, in attendance, stand fast in relation to the scriptures, stand fast in sanctification and separation, stand fast with the saints in all the outworking of their need. And if you're here this morning and your heart's breaking and your mind's in turmoil, do remember, as, as we're going to see here in a moment, Paul had something wonderful to say to the saints. Think as we close about the result of standing fast in the Lord. He says here, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Think of Paul's terms, dearly beloved. He used it twice. You see, he loved these people. They were his joy and crown. He had a bright spot in his heart and mind for them. He had a feeling of pride wham up in soul as he thought about them. They, they were a cause of honor to him. They, they gave him immense satisfaction. This wasn't something that was false. This wasn't something that was counterfeit. This was, this was how he felt. This was genuine. This was real. And whenever he described them in this way, this is what he wanted for them. He wanted them to, to live as Christians, live out the gospel. He wanted them to, to look as Christians so that others, when they see them, could, could discern there's something different about this man or woman. And he wanted them to love as a Christian. Paul was reminding them that they were dearly beloved. And if they were loved by Paul, they're equally loved by the Lord. Remember, God says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. The, the Bible tells us more about the love of God. I will love them freely as without money and without price. We, we read of Christ, having loved his own, he loved them unto the end. And Paul says, the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And you see, when we stand fast in the Lord... With this reason, I'm a son in the family. I'm a soldier in the fight. And we, we take these areas on board. I must stand fast in this area and in that area. I, I must not waver. I must be resolute. I, I must remain true and in my place. Then the result will be we're, we're living out the gospel. We're living as Christians. And the world will look upon us and they'll see that we're different. 
And we, we, we display our love. Our love to God. Our love to the Savior. Our love to the saints. Our love to the souls of man. Now let me ask this morning. When others see us. Do they see me living as a Christian? Or see me living as a hypocrite? Or a counterfeit? Spoke to a man this week. And he said to me, I'd love to come to church, he says, and hear the gospel, but there's far too many hypocrites playing at Christianity for me to darken the door. I thought, how sad. He could have named names, of course, how he's been treated as a businessman by members of the community. And you see, that, that, that brings the church and the testimony of Christ into disrepute. We're to live as a Christian. We're to be real. We're to look like Christians. We're to be different. Because Christians are different. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. As a Christian, you don't go down to the pub and get drunk. You're not running about with um, a fag hanging out of your mouth. You're, you're, you're not going to places of worldly amusement and entertainment. And um, you're, you're certainly not in the nightclubs or, or, or in the dens of iniquity of this world. Why? Because there's a love for Christ in your heart. You've been changed. You don't desire for those things because he's taken that desire out. And you, you do it because you love him. And it's not in any strength or ability that you or I have. It's in the strength and ability and the grace that the Lord gives us. Remember, everything is a gift. A dear brother emphasized that to me some months ago. It's been a precious thought in my mind. Everything that God gives us is a gift. Being a Christian is a gift. A gift of God's good grace to us. May the Lord take these few words this morning and bless them to us. Remember tonight we're going to look at the subject um, about uh, life. Uh, what is your life? And we, we, we trust the Lord for his blessing.